Welcome to Acquisition Talk, a podcast on the management, technology, and the political economy of weapon systems acquisition. I'm your host, Eric Lofgren. You can find this podcast and more information, including links, commentary, and articles on acquisitiontalk.com. Thanks for listening. I'm excited to be speaking today with Joel Nidig, who is the CEO and co-founder of SimbaChain, a dual-use blockchain company that started with a DARPA contract, and he's also the Director of Research and Development at ITAMCO. Joel, thanks for joining me on Acquisition Talk. Hey, thanks, Eric, for having me. Yeah, so there's a bunch of buzzwords in defense, and blockchain doesn't seem to be one of them, you know, at least yet. So can you start here by introducing blockchain and smart contracts? Why are you excited about their potential? Yeah, and I'll start back with like the original, like, you know, people when they hear about blockchain, they kind of equate Bitcoin and you continually hear that. And it's really just the underlying technology that we all want to be on a single ledger um, because that's how we can do commerce and how we can really balance when a transaction is actually completed. We don't know when it's completed unless we all can have access to the fact that this is transferred from one person to another or you know, an asset to a location. And that's where blockchain, like we're really excited about, especially on supply chain uh, side of things, because it's very complex. There's a lot of moving parts. Everybody's got different incentives as well. So it's really important to make sure that those different things align well and that we can all see, you know, have visibility into what's happening in basically in a trustless way, which is like, you know, adding a whole nother layer of complications. So so that's what the exciting thing, you know, like Bitcoin originally brought a way to transfer a digital currency to anywhere in the world. And you didn't have to have a central bank or anything to handle that. And then there's a whole thing about mining and all kinds of things that are happening. But, you know, from the DOD side, we want to build like essentially a trust machine. And that's what we're doing right now. And I can get into some of those use cases. But that's what the exciting thing that you know we started with DARPA and now we're building out into all the other agencies. Yeah. Can you start with that DARPA contract? You know, what were they looking for and you know what was the solution that you were proposing yeah they were looking for a secure messaging uh, capability so particularly to the acquisition side they were looking for the military interdepartmental purchase request so it's called a mipper and this is how agencies in the government transact between each other in the dod so sometimes you know army might acquisition navy or navy acquisitions army or you know darpa doesn't do their own contracting so we actually on that contract that we won, it was actually Army doing the contracting out of Orlando, Florida. So it was kind of cool, like to see we were had a hand in building one of the first APIs that for blockchain that was working with MIPPERS, and so you can see where we could revolutionize how the military eventually will communicate and do you know their own business transactions with each other. So the other thing they were focused too on is like any type of telemetry. So when you think about all the things that are happening in space right now. It's really complex. And then working with other agencies and other governments, and it just becomes, and all the satellites that are going up, it's just crazy. And the commercialization of space that's happening. So having that kind of zero trust in that area is important as well. And so that's what DARPA originally set out to do. So we built, we started off with Hyperledger, and then we went to Ethereum from a smart contract standpoint. And now we're, you know, we've deployed now to 
both Ethereum, Quorum, Hyperledger, RSK, Stellar. We're on Binance now too. We're on the Binance Smart Chain. Anyway, we have we're just binding. We're blockchain agnostic and have bindings to almost everything and continue to kind of build out specifically for Ethereum virtual machines. But um, that's kind of where we started and where our strong our strong point is at. Yeah, can you get into that a little bit more? You you guys offer a couple services that people probably haven't heard too much about, like smart contracts as a service and then even startups as a service. So can you just unpack that for us? What are what are smart contracts? Yeah, so smart, a smart contract is basically, it's neither smart nor it's a contract. Um, so it's like, it's a misnomer, but it's basically like a stored procedure for databases. So if you're familiar with SQL database or something like that, you do a stored procedure where something happens, code gets executed. So it's really just a bunch of if, if this, then uh, statements that, are packaged together that are on chain. So it becomes immutable and non-reputable. You hear those words a lot, which means it can't be changed or modified and it can't be contested against because everybody sees the transactions that are happening. So what it does though, is it does provide that kind of automation of workflows. And so if you look at our website, we're all about like digital workflow from a business case. And we really try to demystify blockchain because we look at it from a our smart contract designer, you can design your business workflow and then it auto-generates the code, which then you can modify. So we auto-generate the solidity code for you. Very much like Visio would do, but we actually generate code, executable code that can go on chain. So it's almost like codifying uh, your supply chain. And so I have several demos that I show about how to do like a cost insurance freight demo and things that are happening in your supply chain that can provide like some of these old archaic technologies like EDI, so electronic data interchange. And so we have a whole way of doing that in a trustless way. So you can get rid of these uh, third-party vans that are having to be the trusted partnerships that are spinning all those up. So there's a whole nother thing behind all that. But yeah, that's really what we're providing is the smart contract or service that you can run in the cloud, or you can go on-prem so we can deploy into Kubernetes or, or container or Docker containers. Our whole platform can be done. So whatever you see on apps.simbachain.com, you can actually get in your own environment and spin up and even more. Um, we have a lot of enterprise tooling around graphically querying the, the blockchain, which is uh, uh, some people are doing it, but we do it in somewhat of a unique way because we offer multiple versioning, you can search across multiple blockchains with that same query. Very complex, obviously, for supply chains. And that's where it's really a team sport. So we got a lot of good partners like Boeing and a, co- a company in Mexico called Tokes is a restaurant. They actually managing like hundreds of restaurants and big conglomerate. And we're doing a coffee supply chain all the way from farm to table and providing you know incentives to you know different people along the supply chain. But yeah, just really connecting multiple suppliers with the customer and the end user and providing visibility and traceability is really what, you know, the big thing that people are looking for. And we get a lot of people looking for that. You hear about ESG, which is like economic, social, and uh, governance, sustainability. People are really concerned about that because, you know, and also consumers are willing to pay more if they know that there's not child labor involved or like, you know, and there's actually... Uh, compliance issues, especially in DOD, that this is not like a conflict mineral, like it's coming from something else. So that's where we're, we're really getting a lot of steam is is looking at counterfeits, non-conforming materials, all that stuff is extremely important to make sure it's on a ledger that, and, and some of these technologies like Quorum and Hyperledger allow for like these zero knowledge proofs that allow you to only see that are required in your things that are, your, are in your supply chain, 
but like, you know, people that aren't on a need to know basis, they don't, they don't have access to that, but yet we're still able to all come to consensus, you know, with these consensus algorithms. So that's really providing that trust layer that's, you know, encrypted and has the cryptography that's needed to be robust and trusted. Yeah, I want to stay here in um, some of these applications of blockchain, especially for government. And you were bringing up supply chain management as one of the areas that's important. And we've heard this, you know, Nicholas Shalon, who's the uh, chief software officer, he was saying that the biggest cyber risk that they actually have is actually in the hardware, not being sure where it's coming from. And so insight into supply chain has been something you know, the, the DOD has long struggled with. We, we have pretty good insight at like the prime level, maybe one level lower, but it's really hard for us to kind of go down that supply chain and understand what's happening. So can you just talk about why is blockchain, you know, important for supply chain management to get that insight? And then what are some of the applications that you see it being used for? Yeah. And like, I'll go back to the counterfeit and non-conforming material that can, you know, send ripple effects for years throughout the Department of Defense, because if there's a uh, you can see there's tons of national security things that could happen as well as far as like, you know, bad things embedded in chips or where it came from and and things like that. So and and sometimes some of this is the non-conforming material is actually like sometimes it's not being mischievous at all. It's just something that gets into the supply chain that wasn't properly tracked or, you know, it's it's just maybe an upgrade of a chip or something, but it's not, you know, the right thing. And so we can really see how blockchain providing that visibility and codifying the supply chain. Not only we have workflows and like rules uh, and responsibilities and things that people, the things that are supposed to execute, but what if this could be done in a more efficient way, like a smart contract where it's automated and everybody sees, knows that the code has been validated and all the participants have signed off on it. And the cool thing about every transaction in blockchain is it has to be digitally signed. So, you know, who signed that transaction and only an authorized person can sign that transaction. So you can have like an original equipment manufacturer digitally sign all their chips, or you could have, you know, the supplier that's supplying a component to a circuit board digitally sign theirs. And then you don't have to like spend years and years trying to dive down. We could build all this into this, you know, codify it into the supply chain and actually immediately know and resolve like, okay, yep, this has all been digitally signed okay, why isn't this digitally signed? And then it's like, okay, is there some non-conforming material or you know, a counterfeit part in here? So that's been one of the biggest use cases that we've been, and this even interagency, inter- you know, like connecting Navy with DLA or connecting the Marine Corps, which operates a lot with the Navy, but they have their own geolocation and places they're communicating with having that kind of reliability um, and visibility to connect nodes. You know, we're working with Air Force. We have, we've even worked with the Department of Energy on projects as well from a solar and renewable energy and, you know, keeping those transactions. Like, you know, the big thing is double spend and renewable energy credits. Like it happens all the time. So how do you make sure these renewable energy credits aren't being double spent, you know, when you have carbon, carbon credits? So, yeah, so we've, a lot of different use cases for keeping and i always re- link back to like a very simplistic item which is like we're all looking at one single ledger and that everybody can go you know as it's not like where you're in a community of banks and they're all kind of relying on their ledger and like you know, these different transactions that are happening so that's one thing i kind of always relate back to yeah so it's interesting on the 
the supply chain front, it seems to me, I want you to kind of enlighten me here, because it seems like are financial transactions actually part of this supply chain management? Like, does is that kind of like the other side of the equation? Like, I get a component and then I also spend money through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what uh, where we're going. Of course, we're our first thing is like getting connectivity, right? It's like creating these peer-to-peer networks and this, you know, Web 3.0 and all that stuff. Like we're kind of laying the almost like the railroad, like we're laying the rail for this uh, commerce to take place, right? And so we might have different groups transporting that commerce and financial data uh, information um, because we can digitize everything now. So you might have like a Norfolk Southern go into like an XPO or something like that. You know, you just have different people on that rail that are moving different things. So we totally see that, you know, a manufacturer in Indiana could be doing a letter of credit to a, uh, a wood producer in like Indonesia or something. And, you know, they don't necessarily trust each other, but now we have, there's physical assets and risk involved. And there's also a, a financial obligation on both parties as well. And how do we, right now, supply chain is usually pretty disconnected from the financial side of things, right? So how do we merge those two together and put those things? So I think you're seeing that happen with like digital goods. So digital goods and cryptocurrencies are kind of coming together with like music and gaming and things like that. You know, you can see Fortnite, V-Bucks and all kinds of stuff like that. And you get a digital asset when you spend those V-Bucks. You're going to see this also happen with like physical commerce. And so that's what the first thing we have to do is make sure that everybody trusts in a trustless system to have like, you know, these physical assets go on the blockchain that we can validate those, those credentials of those, you know, basically tokenizing those physical assets. And then from there, we're able to use, you know, currency, whether it is crypto or some type of digital fiat that um, can be, you know, transacted with immediately. And so this is going to like improve like time to market, uh, time to, you know, get product in, time to validate if the person can afford to, you know, is their credit check to purchase this item. So all those things by being on one single ledger can really rapidly, you know, you can see how fast this could really move things along and, and get trust back in the system. When you're envisioning this, uh, the supply chain, are they kind of, they're going to be passing around like Ethereum or some kind of stable coin token that's pegged to the dollar? How do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, it could be both. Um, maybe they're using Ethereum because they're paying for the gas. That might be, you know, a thing. Or maybe they're just using like, tether or die or some type of stable coin that's pegged to the us dollar and you can see what's happening and that's why i'm like i'm obviously i'm a defense contractor and i'm a patriot from the us side you know from what china's building with their you know their blockchain their national blockchain it's pretty scary i mean america needs to wake up and like realize that there's companies like starbucks and walmart going on that blockchain and that's how they're gonna that's the only way they're gonna be able to do commerce and so if, if the United States really needs to understand that we need to lead this area in building this kind of digital highway of, of commerce, and that's where you know the blockchain comes in this effect and things like that. So it's really important for everybody to understand how that's going to evolve and work and you know start getting a lot more people involved in this in this process. Yeah, and I'm, I'm super excited about blockchain as well. So I'm interested to hear that you said that you're actually tackling the MIPR issue, which in the Department of Defense has led to a lot of consternation, especially in the DOD audit. We spend, 
you know, over a billion dollars a year kind of trying to get the Department of Defense auditable. And we still can't seem to do it very well. And a lot of it is these back and forth transactions between the military services that they send money back and forth between each other called MIPRs. And it seems like blockchain is just an obvious solution, right? Like in my mind, I almost see like, why do we have, like, we still have this 20th century, even potentially like 19th century model here. You could have like Congress appropriate, you know, a digital token, right? Or a currency that's kind of pegged to a dollar. And then you could just see how that flows all the way through the obligations and potentially even into the supply chain, right? So how do you, how do you see that? Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it sounds simple and I know it's complex because people are involved, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you involve people it's like, oh boy, now it's like, it's, you know, this congressman and that, you know, defense contractor, no, you know, everybody wants to make it complicated to shut out all the little guys. So I think, you know, with the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, they usually appropriate, it's like 730 billion now, I think it's up to 750, 750 billion. All you have to do is just tokenize every one of those dollars. You would not then have $35 trillion of journal entries that are messed up at the Pentagon because then you would have every single token digitized. It just like you just, you just stated the, the answer is that you would be able to appropriate like where that, oh, well, that went, that actually went from Congress or the Treasury out of the DOD and then it went to, it went, and I'm not even saying I'm saying this right, but then the, the you know Pentagon then said, okay, Army, you're getting this, Navy, you get this, you know, all that's in the budget. And then let's say Army needs the MIPR money to Navy for some type of uh, whatever transport via sea, right? Let's say that for lack of a better term. Well, you would be able to follow that so that digitized token all the way through. It'd all be on the same ledger. You'd know exactly where that's transferred. Now, a lot of people probably don't want that, right? Because it's like, ooh, that's kind of like really visibility and, and revealing to the American people, like where these dollars are going. And it's like, you know, we do have this thing called the Freedom of Information Act. So it's like, I mean, as long as it's not a secret or top secret or classified information, it's like, should be really out there and people should be able to understand where these dollars are going. So, I mean, this is super disruptive, obviously, but it would it would help them it would force them to know where the dollars are going, right? You wouldn't have, like I said, I mean, you you can see the articles about the the massive journal entries that are happening too, because they can't balance the books. And it's like, if you just digitize where the dollar, where each one of these dollars go, just tokenize each one of them. So it's like, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, the history of blockchain is pretty interesting because it did really come from that accounting side, triple entry bookkeeping. <laughs> and so it seems like it's kind of a natural fit, but there's just so many different use cases. I think one of the hard things about blockchain in general is that it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. And it's more of like a social construct of how the economy and how people work as opposed to AI, which is kind of a technical in- implementation and doesn't really require the same level of kind of like buy-in from the various nodes that might be participating. Yeah. And like we try to say like blockchain is really important just from having a base layer of trust. Yeah. And then you can add on the AI, the machine learning, all the other stuff. And even the models that are designed to that, because you don't want people ingesting bad things into an AI model. And that's how blockchain can validate that model to make sure that it's, you know, through a smart contract to go, yeah, this has been signed off by all the appropriate people. Uh, it's been ran through a validation model and it's been checked off and then therefore it's allowed to go on chain and then run. So 
you know, and there's a lot of dangerous things that are happening. Um, not dangerous things, but crazy things. You know, you just had like DARPA do a dogfight with AI. You know, it's like, and it beat the pilot. You know, in the simulation. So whether that can be implemented in different things like that is another, you know, conversation physically. But the fact that they did it in a simulation is. What if AI runs amok and just starts, you know, bombing things? I mean, it's like we really need to add and people are like, oh, that'll never happen. It's like, well, you know, we all saw Terminator, right? I mean, it's just like if we're going to build, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, you know, we're going to we got to be careful here. So let's put some to checks and balances in place, which blockchain provides an avenue to do so. And it does add version control, right? So, you you know, when, if you do submit something there, there's a way to. Uh, provide upgrades and, and version changes to, to update that, but that way it's all validated. So, yeah, I mean, I think a uh, blockchain from a trust standpoint is really big. Um, and to, you know, keeping up with the AI and machine learning and different things that are happening there in that space. Yeah. One of the things about artificial intelligence, it seems like, you know, cybersecurity seems to be, you know, an important topic there in terms of your ability to trust and, and through communications you know, we've seen in the past in World War II, Bletchley Park, of course, with the Enigma code breaking. And then there's even like low tech ways that people were able to like really have huge impacts on the battlefield, such as at Midway, where the U.S. was basically they wanted to make sure that a certain code actually meant Midway. So they pretended that there was, a, you know, a water supply shortage just to kind of flare that stuff up. But can you talk about, you know, blockchain as, you know, securing communications and, and making sure that some of these systems might not be hacked? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to like a zero trust model. And you see a lot of 5G's big into this, right? Because where you're having communications that can be spliced into multiple VPNs between, and they can do VPNing on the fly. So like setting up trusted channels. And that's essentially what we're, uh, some of the stuff we're doing is like Hyperledger and setting up secure channels. I mean, this is, none of this is like, it's very all out there and people are already doing it in supply chains with Hyperledger, but setting up those channels between different suppliers and communicating across that way. And then they have to be invited and there's a governance model to add which person has access to what. And once again, it's like a need to know kind of basis with that kind of encryption and authorization. And everybody in the in the group has a digital signature, which is, you know, a lot of times we call it a, a public and private key um, that they can sign and that transaction is then you know, authenticated on chain. And then it's, so you'll hear a lot about these verifiable credentials and decentralized identities. And that's really coming along with 5G as that comes along. And it's going to be very, very key for the zero trust capability to have those kind of secure encryption communications that are happening. And blockchain fits right in there. I mean, with all the, like I said, with the digital signing and, and the way to have those transactions. So what is the killer blockchain? We don't know the actual protocol because Simba supports like seven different ones. So Simba is just focused on making things easy for people because we don't know what will be the winner in the end. I mean, and there's multiple use cases like, you know, stellar for financial transactions. You could use Ethereum, but it's also good for supply chain or quorum and hyperledger from the zero knowledge side of things. RSK is tied to the Bitcoin. So if you want the security of Bitcoin and having smart contracts like Ethereum, you can use RSK. And then Binance, obviously, is a massive, one of the number one crypto exchanges in the world. And they have their own smart chain that's EVM. Um, and it's um, proof of staked authority. So it has a new consensus algorithm that uh, combines proof of stake with kind of this proof of authority. 
combination, which is pretty exciting. And so, so yeah, we don't, once again, we're like Simbits continues to remain agnostic, providing one API to all these different blockchains, which is like really what we focus on and making it easier for people to deploy and manage those. Does the government need its own protocol or are the existing ones, you know, secure enough for government potentially classified, you know, needs? Yeah, I think that's, you're going to probably have like maybe modifications of different protocols. And you can see this, you know, with Linux and different things like that. There's like, you know, secured enclaves that the government builds that make it really secure to do programming and different things like that. I mean, I think you're going to have the same thing with with blockchain. There's a lot of protocols out there that can be modified to fit every use case, um, whether it's financial or logistics or supply chain or communications. That's why SimbaChain is really focused on multiple layers of security. So like at the API layer, at the node layer, at the front end layer. So there's you know two, two factor authentication, having that, you know, all these different uh, capabilities. And so really it's just about having the right architecture and building that out. And then it's, the cool thing is it's all upgradable as well. I think there's a lot of people that are like, oh, there's a scaling issue with blockchain. I mean, that was brought up when they said, you know, when the internet came out and they're like, oh, this can never scale. Like once we add, you know, five servers to the internet, it'll break it. You know, it's like, well, we obviously figured out the scaling issue because you and me are streaming and thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people are streaming over Zoom and WebEx and Teams every day. And that's how we're doing business in COVID. So, so you know, the scalability is just a matter of solving that kind of capability and that's what we're working on too. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the past 10 years or so have really been about building out this, you know, the the infrastructure and, and the protocols. And I agree with you. It seems like the scalability issue, we're just eventually going to get over that. And Ethereum's kind of moving to a proof of stake right. model. And and there's so there's a lot of talk about that. But you guys, I want to kind of abstract away from the blockchain because that's kind of what you guys are doing, right? And now you're focusing on the application layer. And we're starting to see more you know, applications starting to be built on blockchain, but we're still like, you know, very much in the early days. And so SimbaChain has been described as kind of like the WordPress of blockchain. So can you unpack, you know, what are you guys doing? Yeah, so we have several different tools. So we have the smart contract generator designer that you can drag and drop, auto-generate. It also auto-generates Solidia code, but then it also auto-generates uh, JSON API bindings to that code on the fly. So it's cust- your basically customization. APIs that happen um, for that user, for your business, for your business use case. We also have like this thing that does off chaining. So, you know, a lot of things like, especially in healthcare, you don't, you want to know a transaction happens. So, like maybe you want to know that, hey, I sent my information to my doctor, but I don't want people to know what the information was. Me and my doctor in the hospital just need to know that the information was sent so that I'm complying with insurance and all the documents been sent. But you don't want the, the, the contents of that shared. And that's what off-chaining provides. Off-chaining, uh, we're able to do into secure places like Azure Blob Storage or, or an AWS S3 container that only certain people would have access to. And we have other things like IPFS and Topo Laughs and these other file systems that are distributed as well that can be, and IPFS is the interplanetary file system. But we, we offer all these kind of easy tools that connect with all these different things that are blockchain or blockchain-y, I guess, in, a, in another word. And it helps users build like dApps, so these distributed applications 
right now we have well, there's a lot of web apps out there, but now if you have peer to peer apps, this these distributed applications will be able to connect right to the blockchain, and you won't necessarily have a backend server that it's communicating through. It's just connecting right to peer to peer in Web three. What we call is Web three So that's the exciting thing, and um, it really adds a help to like you know distributed now service attacks and man in the middle attacks and all these other things that are happening with. You know, there's also like ransomware issues with people, you know, when you centralize data or all these hacks that you have happen because everybody centralizes the data in one database, you know. So it's like it's just a honeypot ready to for somebody to attack. So we really think that, uh, especially in healthcare and in supply chain and other things, like having that off-chain capability and these tools that, that Simba provides, easily querying the blockchain. We have a, a search tool that helps with that, like I said, with GraphQL. And things like that. The other thing we, we're offering is a an extract, transform, and load. So basically, bringing on legacy data. You know, we try to make things as painless as possible to onboard people for this new technology of blockchain. And so, so that's where you'll see like a lot of our educational. So we have like the training.simbachain.com and like educational classes you can take. We have a whole education practice that we work with universities to help them build curriculum and use our platform to help their students. Because a lot of our groups are not programmers. They're actually like business and law people. So they can, or supply chain analysts, they don't really care how blockchain works in the back end. They just need to use the tool for what their business case is for. So that's how we help and, and Simba simplifies all that. Can you talk a little bit more about the off-chain? So I assume government might want to store most of its information off-chain, but then does that still open up, you know, like why why is the the off-chain database, you know, more secure? Can I only get through it through my private keys and through consensus or what what what's keeping the off-chain secure? Yeah, the off-chaining um allows it only basically we just store a secure hash of that off-chain file on the blockchain by storing that digital fingerprint Usually these might be like secure on, like I said, secure enclave that the DOD has or something else like that, that only you have to have like a cat card access to, um, you got to have the right credentials, two-factor authentication. You may have to be in a geospatial location to even access it. So that's another, so, so geospatial wrapping around, you know, you have to be um, in a certain site to even access it and so so that's really what the cool thing and then the other thing we help people do too is you can do off-chain signing too so you can do you can actually sign your transactions uh, offline and then put those back on chain when it's time to send those so really provides like more security around doing things like that yeah that's going to continue to evolve like like once again just like we know the major file systems like people use sharepoint and they use which is, you know, has a back end. Um, but like I said, Azure Blob Storage and AWS S3 containers and IPFS, we don't know what's going to be the killer distributed off-chain file system, but we're supporting many different ones, just like we're supporting many different blockchains for different use cases, obviously, for different customers. Yeah, it seems like you guys are doing an awful lot. You have, what, like 15 to 20 employees, something like that? Yeah, yep. Yep. Yeah, and you guys are just tackling a so whole. We're bunch. mostly coders. I mean, the whole company's just a bunch of programmers, and then we have some DoD retired uh, group supply chain logistics personnel as well that uh, provide that kind of domain expertise. Um, I come from a supply chain manufacturing background, so that's where I come out of. But I'm also 
software programming as well. So kind of combine the two here, but, but yeah, so that's, that's really what we bring to the table is just a really diverse group of programmers and domain expertise to, to meet, make blockchain usable. Adoption is our big key and making it usable. So where a lot of people might be really focused on the protocol layer, we're really more above that and like really focused on the end user and applications and seeing where those will grow. So I, I kind of look at you guys. It's hard sometimes to find like really good dual use kinds of companies and technologies out there because a lot of times the military requirements are quite specific. But here it seems like, you know, you got this, you started out with the DARPA grant and you're kind of doing something that really is dual use. It's almost like, I think you guys have different lines of effort, but, you know, they're really self-supporting. Can you just kind of talk about how you're offering, you know, to the public versus the government? How do they kind of support one another? Really, when it comes to enterprise and government, it's really, most most of them are, com- they're both really complex. I mean, enterprises uh, have their lot of security wrapped around. You can imagine you're dealing with the IT groups, the operation groups, and then the business group. And then you're usually dealing with the legal side when you're going through the contracting side of things. So both are very similar and very complex. And you're going through that business cycle as you're working through all the, the different needs. But we also offer that education side. So we're actually, um, we have a master trainer, uh, Tommy Cooksey, that's on our team that helps educate people on, okay, have a use case. How would you implement that use case? And how can you get to a proof of concept faster? And so we provide really a fast way to get to a proof of concept. And then as you want to move into an MVP or a minimal viable product or a full-blown production, we have an enterprise solution on Simba for that. So people, most people run off our app.simbachain.com. We have over 3,000 users, but we have a, an enterprise solution that can be deployed in cloud or on-prem. Um, like I said, either Kubernetes or, or it's containerized. So if you're like, Docker containers, um, we have those kind of both solutions for different groups. So we really provide that. And that's where you can kind of see where the business kind of crosses in with, with the government side of things. And um, really showing, we also have Microsoft Power Apps integration. So we've got 260 different connectors to, to the blockchain. Um, so people can use our smart contracts to connect to those different connectors, um, whether it be Facebook or um, and we use the Microsoft Flow product to handle all that. So one of the first ones to market to build all that. Um, not many people know it. And we've got several enterprise customers like Tokes using that product. And uh, it's really easy to use because it you might already have stuff, that, you know, business workflows that are working in SharePoint. But you don't need to modify that, but you want to make them like uh, blockchain enabled for immutability to maybe share with other suppliers inside your SharePoint and workflows that kick off automatically with smart contracts. And so that that's what that item in app source, Microsoft App Source can provide for them. So we're just builders. I mean, we're building a lot of stuff and we're not, we, we basically reinvest every single dollar back into our platform. Um, so everything you see, you know, any, any piece of revenue we're getting is going right back into SimbaChain.com to be built. And so that's why we chose, we didn't, we just decided to be a, a you know, a venture back company. Um, we didn't do an ICO. We kind of just were like, what is an ICO? Can you explain that to our listeners? Like, why didn't you take that that route? That's an initial coin offering, which is basically like you're putting together a roadmap over five years that you're going to like build something. But at the beginning, it's only just a white paper. And so you're asking, people are investing in a token that runs on your platform. Um, and maybe it's an ERC-20 token that runs on Ethereum, but it's like 
whatever your coin.com or, you know, something, and you are, you know, using that, you hope that that coin goes up, which then goes on exchanges. And people are hoping that that coin will go up in value because the coin will be used as commerce or whatever on your, on your platform uh, for participants to use as credits or something like that. Like, it's kind of like the whole V bucks and Fortnite kind of thing. If you're, if users are had kids that are gamers or, or listening, um, that's essentially what you're doing is you're buying these tokens ahead of time so that you can transact and use them for, for product later on. But we just decided not to do that because we're like, well, we're just going to build products for people or let people use our product to build for others um, and partner with groups. And that's really what we just decided to focus on because we didn't, there's a lot of ICOs that raised a lot of money, but haven't really built a lot of things. And so we went the opposite way. We were like, well, we're going to start small and build out and then continue to grow that way as we, as we generate more revenue. So you guys actually got, you know, early funding from the government, which allowed you to do some things. And you were also able to get venture capital. So you didn't have to kind of go the, the alternative ICO financing route. Uh, can you just talk about what your experience was, you know, doing business first with DARPA and then how you like, how did you transition to other government customers such as Navair? Yeah, really. Um, we, we submit a lot of proposals, obviously, because we have a lot of PhDs on our staff that are programmers great a great company like i told my guys i i always message everybody on slack every day i'm like you guys are the best people to work with i'm having the time of my life like that's that's my every day it's so much fun with our team and our team is completely distributed too like we have people in like wales uk uh south africa dallas texas minneapolis washington dc seattle so kind of like ohio um we're kind of like completely distributed uh, company. Um, and that's kind of how we started off was because it was like a lot of connections with me and my CTO, Dr. Ian Taylor from the University of Notre Dame. Um, we just had done a bit, you know, a lot of projects over the years and I've had other startups um, that I exited and um, just kind of brought our best in class people together. And you can see our webpage, we're a diverse kind of group of people too. Um, so it's, it's, it's exciting. I mean, we just got, um, you know, just a lot of uh, going after different proposals, learning what the government's looking for, looking what industry is looking for, kind of combining those two, like you said, the dual use case, which is not easy to do. Sometimes they have specific use cases, but there are convergences um, that that we could reuse in, in industry. Um, and so you can see a lot of that on our website and our YouTube site. And we have to do a lot of webinars too that kind of have our customers on and networks. Like we just had Stellar on to do a webinar. So our next one will be, um, we'll have some Microsoft groups on some of our next ones that are coming up and we have, we're doing hype, we'll be on Hyperledger as well and some things like that. So, so yeah, I think it's just a lot of, um, and word of mouth, you know, like we start talking with one agency and they're like, they have the same pain points. And then we get in touch with another agency and then we start making those connections and, and, uh, and working with, you know, like I said, blockchain is a team sport. So you gotta be able to play with everybody. You're not going to be able to do everything all by yourself. Yeah. So can you talk about, you know, are you just doing like follow on work on the same stuff you're doing at DARPA with uh, your new customers or like what kind of use cases are you specifically doing currently? And then what's your kind of growth strategy in the government space? Um, yeah, I mean, we were, we're growing in education. So we've got um, Portland State, um, Louisiana State University, 
um, Notre Dame, IUPUI, Indiana University, the Black Blockchain Consultants, the BBC, is using our platform for all their 100 consultants they have. Um, we have uh, STEAM Education in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so a lot of different, these educational groups. Um, and then from the from the enterprise side, we continue to partner with companies like Boeing that have government connections. Um, and so they have this use case that are both, they have a dual use case too, because they're a company that's both in government and in commercial. And it's the same stuff because it's the FAA has regulations and it's like things to be tracked and just by the actual by the commerce there's audit trails right so you have to have like so if we can digitize these audit trails and have a ledger and be able to query that and show that immediately and everything traceable really helps them from their business their business model and then obviously from a you know tox is another customer of ours multi-billion dollar organization that we're really focused on providing the end user with visibility into the supply chain because they want to know where is the coffee coming from? How, you know, I get good grade of coffee. How, where is this coming? You know, how does that work? And, and everybody along the, the line of distribution can, you know, basically be empowered and make money and there's sustainability in that because they know the little guy's not going to get squashed out. Everybody's, you know, making money along the way. And that's really valuable to them. They're part of the, um, the United Nations, uh, uh, sustainment group. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting things. And then we have startups. Um, I can't get into the publicly named several of the startups, but we have several startups that are using our startup as a service because we've built their business model is around blockchain and we have all the tooling that enables their, you know, almost like a Stripe. You know, you think of people, people using Stripe to handle all the credit card and all this. Well, we figured out the blockchain need and all the APIs and everything that you need to do to transact on that. If you're, you can just come on ours, you know, use our software as a service and then away you go with your, with your business model um, that has blockchain related items to it. So we've got some, a lot of startups that are using our platform. And so we'll begin to continue to grow there. And then, yeah, like I said, from the DOD side, it's just, um, we've got some sole source contracts. Like we basically have built this for four years back in, you know, before we even started, because we didn't start the company until 2018, but um we back in 2016 when we run the original grant um, from DARPA, you know, we have this sole source capability now because it's it's links back to this uh, small business innovation research. Um, so we're able to go into different government customers and and just they can sole source the work right directly to us. Um, so it doesn't have to be competed. Um, and so that's a big that's a big win um, because they can go use that the. They can use the technology that they invested in. That's the whole point of the cyber process. The government wants to be able to work with small business to, and use the technology that they invested in to begin with. It's just a really smart thing. And, and, it, and you know, it, all programs are using this. I mean, DOD, NASA, Department of Energy, everybody, they, they love the cyber programs because that's where innovation is happening. And there's a lot of incentive for small business to go and do. And eventually it gets roped into some bigger companies as well. But it always starts off like a small idea. That's where you know a lot of great things have started in garages. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to hear that you're getting some traction there, especially you know Cyber Phase Three and beyond, because you know a lot of companies seem to you know hit that valley of death and and they're not really able to bridge after that and get those those follow-on contracts. Is the government like providing you more money to go do more research and development and do new requirements? Or are you kind of able to use your commercial pricing or whatever to kind of say, you know, here's my pricing, here's, 
here's an implementation for you and you can rapidly do it that way. We pretty much, like I said, everything pretty much gets reinvested back into the platform. So any dollars that are coming in, whether it be, you know, from federal government or research or building their infrastructure or uh, stuff that we're doing for our business customers, you know, we're reinvesting to make sure that we're like the best in class from a front end user experience. So we're constantly talking to the user Hey, what can we do better? What data information do you need to ingest better? You know, we'll go up, get other data sources so that uh, can, can, you know, to create creative tools for them to to provide better analytics and things like that. So we're constantly, um, yeah, you know, using any resources we can as a startup to to build a better product um, and reinvest there. So, um, so that's yeah, that's the exciting thing. And like, you know. It's the normal startup. Like, you know, me and my CTO, we didn't, first couple of years, there's no, you know, we didn't take a dime, right? So it's just like, that's just how things roll out. So everything we, all the dollars we use are going right back into the company. So. Yeah, that's definitely something interesting that, you know, you guys are able to kind of, you know, you're not meeting a military requirement where the government's telling you to do something. You're able to reinvest the money and do things the way that you foresee them. And it's very interesting, you know, you kind of compared yourself to Stripe, but on Web 3.0. So you guys are almost seeing like, you know, you're going to, you're kind of the abstraction, you're the interface with the blockchain. Most people won't even really need to, you know, interact with the blockchain, but new companies can kind of start up on, on Simba chain and then they could actually build out applications for, for the government, for private industry use for all sorts of uses and then as they grow you're growing right right yeah we already have and that's what we have we have several startups that do go after grants that use our platform and we get embedded you know we get listed on grants and other things like that i mean it's like because we we've been in this space like i said we were the original darpa blockchain pro you know work so it's like we're kind of built out of that and uh, we continue to add more value by adding more blockchain protocols so like on our roadmap, we have like Hedera and Corda and some of these other ones that are going to be coming online here um, as we continue to add more protocols uh, for users to use because they have different use cases. And, you know, we're probably support Libra, eventually Facebook's as well. But all those require different kind of smart contract language, which is like theirs uses Move, uh, Corda uses Kotlin. So, you know, you just have to be prepared to support multiple different languages. And we have a lot of SDKs too. So if you go to our documentation page, we have doc, you know, .NET stuff for uh, Node.js, JavaScript, uh, Java. And then we have front-end applications that are examples that people can use. So they don't have to you know, really focus on your, your user experience. They don't have to focus on the APIs and the blockchain and all that stuff. We have a gaming engine, you know, connectivity with Unity. You can use, you know, if you're a gamer, like to program games, we have connectivity to the blockchain by through our API through Unity, and that's all open source tooling we built that we open sourced as well. So, a lot of cool stuff that people can use. Can you take us into the future a little bit? Like, what other types of things that can blockchain help solve for like a government or a military mission? You know, digital engineering perhaps is one one area. But what are you thinking? Additive has been a big one because maybe you need to. Um, print something that's not in stock, um, but you want to, you know, the intellectual property is maybe owned by an OEM. So that's been a big use case. And there's a lot of people in blockchain that are, you know, trying to solve that, crack that nut. But we have a platform called Basecamp 
that we built as part of an Air Force project that allows for, you know, additive manufacturing to, to provide like a secure hash so then all the parties can transact, whether it be the, the files that were designed or, you know, the, the end customer that's going to use it. And then they can, all that's transacted. The payment side isn't there, but you can essentially enable that if you wanted to, like I said, pay either Ethereum or through other similar blockchain. Since additive manufacturing and 3D printing is very digitized already, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of 2D things happening in that realm. It's like everything is digital from every aspect. It's from design to sending the code to the printer, to printing it, to everything. So we see that's kind of a big deal. And and a lot of manufacturing move into additive. So you have like aerospace and medical that have been big into additive and it continues to grow then traditional subtractive manufacturing. So we see that becoming big. And then the military is going to need to know, hey, does this meet the specs, right? And so that needs to go on the blockchain and know that, hey, I want to know if this thing's going to fail or what, when is it going to fail or, you know, those kind of things. So that all needs to be validated and proven as well. So. We do see there's massive amounts of uh, direction towards that kind of you know digital thread in manufacturing for blockchain. Yeah, that's pretty exciting, especially thinking you know there's a lot of talk about you know 3D printing on the edge, so you can get spares and repairs or something like that, or component pieces on the edge real time. And then you guys are actually kind of giving the business function there, where the government could almost automate you know payment for those designs through a license structure. And everyone kind of understands you're using this design and then you're you're pulling it down from the blockchain and then you're paying them for that. And it's all kind of happening automatically. There's just tons of applications here. And like we've been working with Congressman Soto's group. Um, he's out of Florida, but obviously DC Congressman. But we wrote the whole blockchain DOD use case white paper with like IBM and Google and Amazon and everything. You can download it at valuetechnology.org. It's a great white paper, and I think you'll like enjoy that because there's a lot of stuff about acquisition, blockchain, and stuff like that in there. Great. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to read that and kind of amplify it. Yeah, we're just trying to like make things easier for people. I, yeah, government contracting is not easy, and it's like it's painful, a lot, really painful. Um, but we know that we just got a lot of government customers that want our tech, so we're just like, okay, we're going to help you. We don't have to do it, but we're just like, we're going to help you and do whatever we can to be there for you. We got this contract. I can't talk much about it for like six months, but like in about a half a year, it'll be public. But we've got a U.S. ally that we're doing like deep fake protection for. So anyway, it's going to be pretty cool. But I think we're going to want to like, I think the U.S. is going to want it (laughs) because it's like, it's pretty revolutionary. And there's so much of that deep fake stuff happening now. It's like crazy. Yeah, it's like really hard. Like when we didn't even know what we were doing when we first started. I when I first started, I had a professor from Notre Dame come to me. He's like, "Why don't you guys do Sivers?" I'm like, "What's a Sivers?" He's like, "A small business innovation research." I'm like, "Dude, I don't do stuff with the government." And now that's all I do. <laughs> like, I was like, "We're not. I'm not. I'm doing stuff with industry. Like I'm, I'm used to normal business, and government is like wacky, wacky man." like total wacky from normal industry. It's not how normal people do business. (laughs) I'll just tell you that. It's not, but if you can, if you can kind of figure it out and then somehow scale it, then you just got recurring revenue forever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you can figure out the right model and I think we're getting there. I mean, we're like 
trust me, we're like a baby. You know, we're just like a startup that's like. But scalable. You guys are scalable, which is the exactly thing. super scalable, and that's how innovation happens. Like, there's no bureaucracy in our company. Me and Ian and the rest of the developers were like, we just go. We're gonna build this. We go tell the Navy and Air Force and uh, DoD, here's what we're building, and we tell them, and they're just like, wow. We have some like Jeff Curtis is a former senior executive at DLA. He's part of our team. And he's like, we basically told Jeff, like, tell us what you wanted to build at DLA that you couldn't. And he's like, all right. And so now that's what we're doing. So we're building like this counterfeit stuff that, you know, can be zero trust on the blockchain and traceability and everything like that. So it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, we finally got buy-in from like some bigger players and that's what it i mean a lot of it takes money like you know most of our contracts are like 1.5 2 million dollars so it does take some money to you know put some power behind it and then get that funding and so there's a lot of risk but we know we don't want to be late to this game either right you know it's like no. and that's what freaks me out like china i'm telling you dude like they're spending billions of dollars on this stuff we're like throwing a million bucks here two billion bucks there like industry spending it right you know you have like Ethereum and consensus and some of these other guys, but like it's nothing compared to what the Chinese are building. And Ethereum's just run by their foundation, which is <laughs> it's not even like how many guys yeah, are actually it's on just that. Like, exactly. It's just a bunch of people like, you know, so I mean, China, that's what I'm saying. Like it's going to be because China's basically telling Starbucks and Walmart, you want to do business with us, you got to hop on the blockchain. Wow. Well, this is a good message to scare, you know, people in Washington, D.C. It's like, oh, China thinks it's a big deal. Well, now <laughs> we got to pivot there, too. <laughs> it worked with AI. <laughs> yeah, I mean, AI, blockchain, all that stuff is like going to be he who has the, owns the data controls the power, you know. And now now that data became money and money became data, that's pretty freaky. You know, that's happening right now in front of us, you know. So when those two worlds collide it's crazy so what we're trying to be is like we're trying to do everything we can to help you know and do what we can as a small organization but work with the powers that be inside navy and air force and try to get and we've been involved in war games and all kinds of stuff like i was in the pentagon two years ago at a war game helping you know try to shape tell them what things are coming down the line and things like that but that's why our education practice is here because we need to educate more people on how to build this stuff because like I said, it's a team sport. We're running out of time. Is there anything you'd like to end on here? Yeah, I mean, check out app.simbachain.com. Uh, it's a great, it's free to log in. Uh, like I said, it's a community of over 3,000 users and growing. We're really excited. We offer, it's a freemium platform. That's how we started. Me and Ian basically want to make blockchain for everybody. Uh, we think anyone can biddle is the word, as you'll see. Uh, Biddle and hodl are the new uh, terms for building blockchain and holding your cryptocurrency. So we think anyone can biddle. And also check out AFRSO. So AFRSO.com. We will be competing in the first advanced manufacturing Olympics for the United States Air Force. Um, so it's one thing to, for people who can, it's a free event. You can check it out in October, October 20 to the 23rd. So that'll be taking place, but you'll see Simba Chain highlighted in a big way there. Joel Nydig, thanks for joining me on Acquisition Talk. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. This concludes another episode of Acquisition Talk. If you have comments, interview recommendations, or just want to chat, please contact us at acquisitiontalk.com. Thanks again, and until next time.